We're looking forward to R.T. Kennel ministering very shortly. This is his reading, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. And they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. And the man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. A strange miracle shows how God cares about the least important things in our lives and cares about every aspect of our lives. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Enable me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And may this be a word that encourages every person here, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage that uh, Gabriel has just read, we see one of the strangest, if not funniest, most comical miracles in all holy writ. Whatever is the meaning of an axe head floating in water. When you compare this to when God used Elisha to heal Naaman, Naaman the leper, that was a spectacular miracle of healing, uh, one of the most extraordinary in the Bible. And now following here, he makes an axe head, iron, float on water. Whatever is the point. So compared to the healing of Naaman, this is so ridiculous. But I can come right to the answer. God cares about every aspect of our lives. And in particular, He cares about when you and I are embarrassed. Would you think God cares about when you're embarrassed? But He does. And it's so thrilling. You know, Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I suppose if we could eavesdrop on one another's prayers, it would embarrass the person to admit you pray about such a thing. But I want you to think for a moment. Of those times in your lives, the smallest thing you prayed about, and if someone heard that you prayed about that, they would say, how dare you? 
like if you lose your keys. But wait a minute, that can be a big thing, huge, when you're rushing and you can't find your keys and you pray, God help me. Or, you know, a lot of people make fun of this. You're looking for a parking place and you ask God to give you a parking place. And the critics come out and say, with all the trouble in the world, and people are going to hell, and you're praying for a parking place. <laughs> but we've all done this. And you see, here's what happened. This man who's a student uh, at this school of the prophets, uh, they, they're going to uh, expand, they have to move, and they're cutting down trees. And one of those men, as he's cutting down the tree, uh, the axe head flies off and uh, immediately said, oh dear, it was borrowed. And it drops into the Jordan River. It couldn't have been too far uh, where the tree was. And uh, there it is. And he is so embarrassed. By the way, uh, do you know the expression flying off the handle? Have you ever flown off the handle? Uh, well, flying off the handle. I've done that too. In fact, I'll tell you something else you won't believe. I've actually chopped wood and had the axe handle fly off. I can do it other ways too when you lose your temper. Uh, expression. that I looked up on Google that came out first in 1832. But Brits use it too, flying off the handle. We've all done that. Well now, here's the thing. It shows that God would take the time because of a man who is embarrassed. He said, oh, please, it was borrowed. Had it been his own, he would have forgotten about it. It was borrowed. And the whole story is about this. And it goes to show how God cares about the least things. In fact, details that you will later forget. And God doesn't want you to forget. Let me give you an example how God uses something that you may think is so unimportant. The book of Acts. I think you would agree that one of the main parts is Acts 2 verses 1, 2, 3, 4, where it is described the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost. Now that's pretty important. But he only takes four, verse, four verses to describe it. Acts 2, 1, 2, 3, 4. You get to the 27th chapter of Acts, and I read it every year because in my Bible reading plan, it takes me through the New Testament twice. And when we get to the 27th chapter of Acts, I think, oh dear, do I have to read this? It is so boring. It's about Paul sailing for Rome. Uh, for example, on the 14th night, we were still driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. I think, who cares? Uh, and, but then I realized Paul speaks up. He says, last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whose I serve, said, don't worry, you're going to make it. Now, here's the thing. 
Acts, who writes the book of Acts, could have covered this whole chapter in one verse. He could have just said, with great difficulty on our way to Rome, we stopped at Malta. And we would be fine with that. But why does he go into all of this detail? I can tell you, if you'd been there, that would have mattered a lot. And to know that God cares about that. Or here's another example. Take the book of Romans. I think we would all agree that Romans is Paul's most important book. It's his longest book, long statement of the gospel, chapter 1, revelation of God. Chapter 2, God's judgment. Chapters 3 and 4, justification by faith. Chapter 5, atonement, big themes. Chapter 6, a man in Christ. Chapter 7, relation to the law. Chapter 8, Paul's doctrine of the Spirit. Chapter 9, predestination. Chapter 10, getting the gospel to every creature. Chapter 11, God's relationship to the Jews and Israel. I could go on and on. What do you suppose you get in chapter 16? Knowing that the whole book of Romans is inspired you realize what you get in chapter 16? It's Paul saying, tell everybody hello for me. Now, he could just say, greet all my friends. But listen to this. He says, uh, uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila. My dear friend Eponetus, greet Mary. Adronicus and Junius. He keeps going. Uh, greet Rufus. Rufus. My grandpa Kendall was named Rufus. And I think, who cares? But then when I get to heaven, I will say, so you're Rufus. I read about you every year, twice. <laughs> and you know, can you imagine how Rufus would feel to know that in the great book of Romans, God mentioned him? You'd be glad if your name was mentioned. God cares about our self-esteem. Paul knows this, and he wants to be remembered. This is the thing. God cares about our self-esteem and about when we are embarrassed. And so, we have here this strange miracle. Uh, I would define a miracle as an extraordinary event that is positive but which is beyond what is natural or proved scientifically. Now, when I think of science, we all know that this week, Stephen Hawking slipped into eternity. Arguably the greatest mind ever, certainly since Einstein. And there would be those who think, well, he is so intelligent, I would believe him. And he didn't believe in God. And therefore, you would not believe in God because Stephen Hawking did not believe in God and he was so smart. Can I tell you something that the newspapers won't tell you about Stephen Hawking? That Paul does? He says in Romans 1.19, since what may be known about God is plain to them. This is Paul. He knows what's on everybody's heart. Atheism is a choice. We choose to be atheists. 
Because Paul says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Intelligent and brilliant though this man may be, he is now, he tells it, it was his ambition to show the purpose of the universe. Imagine trying to do that without God. He has his work cut out for him. Well, he did not succeed. And the truth is, one chooses to be an atheist because this is what, is what people want to believe. I'll tell you another thing, you may not know this. Sir Julian Huxley was one of the first to get on the bandwagon and support Darwinian evolution. And he actually made this statement, I quote, the reason we leaped at Darwin is because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. This is one of the reasons people want to believe. There's no God. They choose to believe it. Well, if you were to tell them about this miracle, they would have all the more reason to laugh their heads off. Who cares about an axe head floating? But it's so interesting to me that the great God of the universe and who's given us the epistle to the Romans, Paul the theologian, at the end takes the time to talk about different people wanting to say hello to them. And that is what we have in this account. Now, what makes it funny? And strange. No one's health is at stake. No one's getting healed. Uh, there's no one's financial security at risk. No one's reputation is at stake. Only the embarrassed man, we won't even know his name until we get to heaven, who was one of the, those studying under Elisha, he was embarrassed because the axe head flew off went into the water, as I say, couldn't be very far because the tree was right next to it, close enough that when Elisha says, uh, uh, get me a stick of wood, he cuts a stick of wood, tell me where, tell me where you lost it. Well, right over there. So Elisha throws a stick of wood and whoosh, just like that. Here comes the ax head floating on water. Now the thing is, this man could have got it himself. You see, it wasn't a piece of plastic that would float down the Jordan River all the way to the Dead Sea. It fell right there. All he had to do is get his feet wet, wade, and shuffle his feet around, and he would find it. But because Elisha was around, and he panics, he says, oh, my Lord, it was, it was, it was borrowed. Elisha could have made fun of him. He could have said, get over it. But no, he said, where did you lose it? Now, the point is, God cared about that. And the things that God can do, when you know, he steps in. There are degrees of miracles. The 
they're what we call creative miracles. Blind being healed, deaf healed. Uh, when uh, a person's raised from the dead or an outstretched arm, God can do that. Or he can just use nature. Take a good rest, you'll feel better. Or he can use what we call a miracle drug and you start feeling better. But in this case, we have a situation where only God can do that. Only God can make this happen. But then, you know, there are things in our lives, and we've all known about them, that convince us how real God is. And if you were to try to convince somebody else, they would laugh you to scorn. Oh, I never will forget uh, one uh, afternoon, I was getting ready to go to Wales and preach that night. And I had it all planned. Instead of taking the underground, go down to St. James Park, Circle Line, takes longer. I just, well, I'll, at 4.30, I'll get a taxi. I'll be at Paddington at quarter to five. That's when the train leaves. And then I get the taxi, and all of a sudden, the traffic stops. And I want you to know, 10 minutes later, we hadn't got 100 yards away. And I am panicked. I say to the taxi driver, uh, is this the fastest you can go? He said, mate, you can get out if you want, get another taxi. I just kept quiet the rest of the way and just started to pray. <laughs> and then when we get to Buckingham Palace, we're now 15 minutes away. And the rate we're going, we're not going to get there till 20 past five. But when we get to uh, Park Lane around Hyde Park Corner, it's five minutes to five. No way can we get to Paddington. But when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask for a video replay and watch the angel come down and divide the traffic, and we just kept going. And I want you to know, got to Paddington at 15 seconds before 5 o'clock. I jumped on the train, and before I sat down, it was moving. That was God. You see, God, He's never too late. He's never too early, always just on time. And I just remembered another occasion. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was March 24th, that was the date. And on Saturdays, when we were at Westminster Chapel, there's something that we just did. I love curry. Indian food is my favorite. There's no number two. Well, there might be a number two, but it would be a far second. And uh, so Saturday nights, uh, I was getting ready to go to the phone and order chicken tikka masala, brinjal bhaji, onion bhaji, rogan gosh, bindi bhaji, Bombay aloo, pillar ice, <laughs> mango chutney. Does that make you hungry? I want to get out here. And, <laughs> and our calendar, which is right next to the phone, is one of those that you turn it every month, you got a new month, and squares, 30 squares, and the date for each one. And for some reason, for some reason, I just looked down, today's March 24th, what? March 24th, I looked on there, 4 p.m., must leave for Oxford. My secretary usually lets me know, don't forget you've got a preaching appointment. She didn't. It's four o'clock. I said to Louise, I've got to go. What do you mean? I said, 
I have to go now. There wasn't even time to change clothes. I had to go down and get in the car and drive to Oxford because I was having a meal with the president of OIQ. He was expecting me at five o'clock. Got in at five till five. He couldn't have known that I almost didn't go at all. <laughs> and had to speak to 200 students that night. It would have been a tragedy is going too far, but so embarrassing if I forgot. And I just happened to look at March 24th. And I'll tell you, you here's another article people, uh, not article, a miracle that people, if they heard it, would find it not possible. But the man who told me, he wasn't making it up, uh, a man of God, his name is Terry Ackrell. He was a retired man with the Kit Kats. Uh, that's actually, he was a superintendent in the marketing of Kit Kats. And he was retired, and in his uh, retirement, God gave him an unusual gift. His story. One Friday, they were praying at St. Michael Belfry. And they began to notice an aroma came into the room. And they all smelled it like roses. And they looked at each other. Do you smell that? Yes. Yes. And Terry said, I smelled it. Then I looked at my hands. He said, soaking wet with oil. And he said, I'm the one. He said, I didn't wash my hands for three days. But then after he finally washed his hands, it would come on him from time to time. And he would never know what would make the oil come on and he couldn't make it happen. And I happened to get to meet him in Scotland years ago and God gave me favor with him and we had a great relationship. And he, I remember calling him one morning. He called me and said, I've got a word for your daughter, Melissa. It was so right and it was so accurate. And he told me many stories. And one of them was that where they began to go to a church in York, a different one than the one I mentioned, for some reason, the vicar was not happy for Terry to be there. And he thought, well, God told me to go there. And then he's sitting in the service, and the Lord says, time to go. When? Now. Now? He said, I turned to my wife and says, God says for us to leave. Well, after the service, we'll know not to come back here. No, we've got to go. They had to get up in the middle of the service, walked out, to walk to their car five minutes away around the corner. And when they walked out, there was their car right at their doorstep. Figure that out. Some won't believe that. I believe it. God does things like that. And miracles, that which only God can do. Now, what I want us to see in this passage, first, a strategic man of God. Imagine the privilege of having Elisha around. And, you know, people like him don't show up every day. A strategic person, we use the phrase sovereign vessel. What's that? Well, it's one raised up by God with a specific ministry. He'll be known for his gifting, courage, uh, the timing, and he's a man of God. Sovereign vessel, Billy Graham, 
Franklin Graham, Colin Dye, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, unusual men. When you have people like that, you think, what a privilege. And these men had Elisha, but now they're going to cut trees. And I suppose they're having conversation. Do you want to ask him or you ask him? Or, well, shall I ask him? Because they didn't know whether the great Elisha would hang around for them to do this. But they just said to him, uh, any chance that you would come with us? He said, sure, sure. He might have said, you don't expect me to waste my time while you're cutting trees. But what an honor, what a privilege. And so uh, they would not always have Elisha. And they've got this story. Let me tell you right now, if you get next to a true man of God, be willing to, and he's willing to spend time with you. Do you know, when I was at Westminster Chapel, the first week I'm there, I'm so intimidated by this invitation, I didn't try to get it, I didn't expect it, and the next thing I know, they voted me in, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was still alive. In fact, he really is the one that made it happen. But I said, Doctor, I'm working on this sermon. Any chance, give me a little help with it this week. You know what he said to me? I'm at your service as long as you want me. And here I was invited to sit at the feet of arguably the greatest preacher ever, certainly in a hundred years. And he's given me his time. I was in and out of his house, but two hours a week, just going over all the points of my sermon and having him criticize it and say, that's good, leave that out, all that was so wonderful. And so when we have a strategic man of God or woman of God, God raises them up, be so thankful. But the second thing I want us to see, the secret mystery of God. It comes out in this story, and I'm referring now to accidents. So they went to the Jordan, began to cut down trees, one of them was cutting down a tree. The iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Accidents. They're going to happen. They are going to happen. And you begin to ask, Lord, why did you let this happen? Why did my... Uh, uh, on my way to make the train, did you had this happen and I missed the train? Why did I lose my keys? Why, when I've got to go to the airport and I can't find my passport? Why? Does he permit them? Does he cause them? Here's something I want you to remember. The difference between what God causes and what he permits is holy ground. I'll explain. One day Moses was in the Sinai desert in Egypt. I have been in that desert in the summer when the Fahrenheit temperature was 120 degrees. You cannot imagine how hot that is. And you can imagine that if, a, if something got on fire, a little bush, uh, it could happen so quickly because of the heat. 
And one day Moses, looking at a bush that's on fire, he probably thought, well, I've seen bush fires before, but he looked again. He said, hmm, that bush has been burning now for several minutes. And after a while, the bush still on fire, isn't consumed, fire's still going, the bush is there. He says, I'm gonna see what this is. I'm gonna get up close and figure it out. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. Moses, Moses, stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. The ground on which you are standing is holy ground. You know what we learned from that? Among other things, when you try to figure out something and you want to get to the bottom of it, God says, stop. Don't come any closer. Don't try to figure it out. You're held back. We all have our questions. The big one, here's the big one. The difference between what is predestined and what is permitted. Holy ground, take off your shoes. Don't try to figure out God. And so that's what we learn. Accidents, they're going to happen. And uh, so why did this prophetic man sitting at the feet of Elisha lose his friend's axe head? And we know this, it caused panic. <laughs> it goes to show that having Elisha around doesn't keep accidents from happening. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I'm with a man of God. Or you're on a flight and you hear that somebody famous is on the plane and they're a Christian. Say, so, well, this flight's going to make it fine because they're on the plane. Uh, don't count on that. Uh, you know, President Lyndon Johnson, in the height of the Vietnam War, always wanted Billy Graham to come and just stay at the White House for a day. He thought having Billy Graham there was going to solve a problem. It didn't. Billy went out of courtesy. Well, I remember a few years ago when uh, I was going to take Paul Kane fishing. Now, if you don't know, Paul Kane is the nearest you get to a modern Elisha. The stories that can be told, extraordinary. And so I'm taking Paul Kane fishing. I thought, well, this will be fun. We're going to catch all kinds of fish. What a day. We didn't catch any fish. And the motor broke down. And we are at sea for two hours before somebody tows us in. So much for having a great man of God to keep accidents from happening. They are going to happen. And so we have this. Right before their eyes is this accident, and the man panics, and he said, oh, it was borrowed. But here's what we learned, and this is so sweet. God cares about our extreme anxiety. He notices it, and this is an example, and he uses Elisha, the same Elisha that healed Naaman now is going to shows something that you might not have thought about. And how Elisha is going to show such concern for this unknown prophet that we would never hear about. You see, here's the thing. 
God uses extreme anxiety to get our attention. Take when you are weeping and you're crying and you're distraught and you say, God, why? It happened to a man by the name of Hezekiah. He was told, your time is up. And he goes to God and he's crying. And then Isaiah the prophet comes and says, I've heard your voice. I have seen your tears. The first time the word tears appears in Holy Scripture. 2 Kings 20 verse 5. Let's you know, tears get God's attention. And maybe no one else is watching and nobody else notices you, but God sees your tears. Well, the lost axe head brought great fear of embarrassment. And here's what I learned from this. God cares when we're embarrassed. And he doesn't want us to be embarrassed. And so this person studying under Elisha feared the embarrassment of having to explain to the owner. And God stepped in. You know, Jesus told us how to keep from being embarrassed sometimes. Remember the parable, Luke 14? Here's a man, goes to this banquet, and he takes himself a bit seriously and says, well, uh, I need to get a seat, and I'm sure I'll be sitting at the top table. So he goes and helps himself and sits down. And then Jesus said, be careful about doing that, because the host might say, oh, sorry about this, sir, but uh, uh, your seat has been reserved for somebody else. Uh, you're going to have to sit over here. And embarrassed in front of everybody, you're going to see that you have to sit someplace else. Now, Jesus said, here's the advice to keep from being embarrassed. When you're invited to a banquet, just take the lowest seat. Nobody will notice. And then if you're invited to come up higher, they'll all see it. This is why he said the principle of letting God exalt you. Letting God do it. You don't have to talk about yourself, who you know, how many famous people you know. Let God exalt you in his time. Uh, but I will say this. Uh, there is one kind of embarrassment where God says uh, you need to get over that. And that is when you're taking a stand for the gospel. At Westminster Chapel, we started our pilot light ministry. And I led a group of going out to the streets, giving out tracts. Now, as far as I know, no previous minister. I was the 12th in, in their history. I'm pretty sure that previous ministers didn't get out on the streets and give out tracts. But God said that I had to. And it was so embarrassing. Because, you know, we don't like it when people hand us something on the street we're wanting to get going. Now, I was having to do that. And I could just hear God saying, get over it. And oh, I'll tell you another kind of embarrassment that God will tell you, just get over it. Do you know the least wanted gift of the Spirit is the gift of tongues? And it's the only gift that challenges your pride. And people will say they are against the gifts of the Spirit. I can tell you now, if, 
If there were not the gift of tongues in those 12 gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, nobody would be against them. Who would be against the healing or prophecy or miracles? Ah, that one in there speaking in tongues, that gives people an excuse not to have them all. It's all because of pride. Uh, Jackie Pullinger told me the first time she spoke in tongues, she said, I was embarrassed. I didn't feel anything. It was just embarrassing. I know exactly what she means. So there is a kind of embarrassment where God just says, get over it. But in this case, he was concerned about how this man felt. And I want to come now to the third thing. This strange miracle of God. And when this man, who we don't know, says, oh, it was, it was borrowed. Elisha could have said, get over it. Or he could have said, you dummy, go on in the water and get it yourself. He could have said that. Because the water wasn't that deep. That's proved it wasn't far. The very fact that he could lift it up shows it was right there. But instead of making him feel bad, and also to save him from getting embarrassed, Elisha shows something, and I have thought about this. These 100 people studying under Elisha, whatever were they learning? Now, we've got a school here, I-B-I-O-L. Gabriel is the principal. By the way, what do you teach them? You don't teach them to do miracles, do you? As if miracle was some kind of magic. I don't, honestly, I've thought about this. Whatever were they learning? What could Elisha, could he show them some trick? How by, where he throws a stick in the water and the iron sup comes up and it starts floating? Is there some trick? You know, Elijah had a successor. It was Elisha. Elisha has no successor. These 100 prophets, we don't know what they were learning. They weren't learning to do miracles. So Elisha could say, now you do it because I've been teaching it. No, I don't know that you can teach that sort of thing because only God can turn the water into wine. Only God can make this happen. But what were they getting? I'll tell you, a side of Elisha you might not have known. Elisha asked the man a question. Where did it fall? Why is he going to ask that question? He's getting a chance to show that God cares about his being embarrassed. God cares about our self-esteem. It was necessary that he asked this question. He's showing how much God cares about small things. Uh, I want to share with you, just before I close, a little acrostic that I came up with years ago, that if you can remember it, and if I can remember, because I forget, I came up with it and I forget. You ask, before I speak, will this meet another person's need? Think about that. For the rest of the day, before you open your mouth, you're getting ready to say something. Ask one question, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Do you have to say it? If you don't have to, don't. 
if I'm totally candid with you, I would say virtually 100% of the times I said something I regretted, I didn't have to say it at all. I didn't have to say it. You ask, is it necessary? You see, James, in James chapter 3, talks about the tongue, which no man can tame. It's what he says. The tongue is a spark. It's a fire. And one word, one unguarded comment will cause a forest fire. Ask, is it necessary? And if it's not necessary, don't speak. But now, using this little acrostic, N-E, does it emancipate? In other words, does it set free? What you want to say will make a person be free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You should know the truth. The truth shall set you free. What Jesus did, he set people free. Ask. Is what I'm about to say, is it necessary? Will it emancipate? And third, does it energize? There are two kinds of people. Did you know this? There are two kinds of people in the world. There are drainers and energizers. Which do you think you are? Are you a drainer? You know what a drainer is? You see them coming, you think, oh, dear me. Oh, you look the other way, you hope they don't see you. A drainer. You talk to them 10 minutes. You're just exhausted. You talk to them an hour. You need a psychiatrist. <laughs> but then there are the energizers. You look for them and, oh, look, I'd love to talk to you because you're going to feel better. They just have that ability. Ask, before you speak, is it necessary? Does it emancipate? Will it energize? And fourth, does it dignify? Does it dignify? Make them feel important. Dale Carnegie said, the greatest urge of any human being is the desire to feel important. That's the way we're wired. And this is why Dale Carnegie would talk about, let the other person save face. And so Elisha, instead of saying, you lazy idiot, go in there and get it yourself. He just says, where did you lose it? It was a necessary question to start. Well, it was right over here. He gets a piece of wood and carves it and throws it over there and the iron floats. That's what God does. Elisha decided to get involved and it let the man save face. That's the way God is. You know, we've all got skeletons in the cupboard and God isn't wanting to yank the skeleton out and embarrass us before everybody. He protects our self-esteem. Well, ask that question. Does it energize? Does it dignify? And so Elisha says, well, you see it floating? Just lift it out. The man did.
and the crisis was over. Strange miracle. Far more important than you may have realized. We're all interested in miracles. Who wouldn't be? And uh, we'd like to see them. Years ago, I was driving Dr. Carl F.H. Henry toward Westminster Chapel. Uh, he was regarded in the 20th century as the greatest theologian in America. And uh, two earned doctorates, and he, with Billy Graham, started a great magazine called Christianity Today. He was an icon, and, and God, for some reason, gave me favor with him. And, and uh, we were driving around Buckingham Palace. I wouldn't remember this had I not asked him a question and remember his answer. I said, Carl, this esteemed theologian, now in his late 70s, I said, if you could live your life over again, what would you do different? He didn't answer. I looked to see if he heard me. But tears filled his eyes. And he said, I would remember that only God can turn the water into wine. It was an implicit admission that over the years, maybe he'd try to make this happen or make this happen. You realize only God can do some things. And you let God do it. Well, we all want to see miracles, but we're living in the day of small things, you see. But I'll tell you something Paul Cain taught Louise and me. He used to say this again and again. Thank God for the least thing, the smallest thing. You see, the cynics say, unless he's walking on water, I don't want to hear about it. No, God can do little things. And thank God for the small things. You see, he cares about how we feel and understands when we make mistakes. And, and uh, by the way, uh, I know what it is to fly off the handle too often. But I can also tell, tell you something. I've seen the iron float after flying off the handle because God has a way of making all things work together for good. Or, and sometimes the way the iron floats is when I apologize for what I just said and the iron will float. All things work together for good. So I close with one of the old hymns of Fanny Crosby. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercies, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever before me. Jesus doeth all things well, for I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all